boom, kaboom, boom, kaboom, In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope, bring your pole oil and rope and try not to go down in a heap. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. I've uh, run into a few uh, issues at work lately that have occupied a lot of my time. Suffice it to say, I've been kind of going back and forth between two different stores. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of burning me out. So sorry that I haven't released any recordings here yet in February, but uh, I'm going to drop a little one here today to make amends, or at least try to make amends. I finally got the Planet Eris game started um, on Sunday. We had a little... Well, I guess it was kind of a character, not exactly character creation, because the guys had rolled up their characters and bought equipment and such beforehand, but we fleshed them out um, and then got the game rolling after talking a little bit about uh, um, the setting and you know, what how the characters maybe know one another and stuff like that. We basically just said, well, you've been waiting for a ship uh, in port so long to take you across the Sea of Oros to the wild land, the well to the last outpost of Sparn, that uh, you were hanging out in the same same dive bar waiting for a ship, and that's how you kind of got to know one another. But I thought I'd talk about uh, one issue that came up. Oh, unless I forget, speaking of Planet Eris. I'm going to include a little Easter egg here at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. And my MO. (laughs) I forgot to thank Colin Green, Spike Pit at the top of the show, doing my theme song. Thanks, Colin. So the thing that came up, well, let me backtrack a little bit. So the the three players that I've got in this game... Adam, Brian, and Keith all made two-player characters. They're going to, for the most part, run two PCs each. Uh, that's kind of what we've been doing lately to try and bolster uh, the roles present in the adventuring party, just make it a little bit more beefy and stuff. It's uh, it's worked out fine. I think it's, I think some of the people don't like it as much as others, but I, but I don't... It hasn't really created any problems for us, uh, at least ones that cause us to go back to playing one character at a time. Now, if in the course of the game, people want only one run character, or if one character gets sidetracked with uh, (laughs) some kind of uh, downtime activity or something, here, Lily desperately wants to go down the porch, so take care of her here. There you go, sweetie. Um... Anyway, so they, they each made up two characters. Adam has a druid and a half-orc. We're using, as outlined, the uh, old-school essentials, advanced fantasy character options and stuff. Uh, so Adam's got a druid and a half-orc. Brian has a cleric and a fighter. And Keith has an elf and a fighter. And Adam, uh, at character creation here, we're kind of talking about our both their characters and whatnot, and he posed the question as his druid, 
hey, um, I don't know how, <laughs> I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he couched it in terms of, are you in the mood to <laughs> be generous to the to the player characters? And uh, I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, could I have cast my animal friendship spell and already have some kind of animal companion via that? And I just, like, shot it down. And I didn't really give an explanation. And I don't really, I just said, no, I'm not going to allow that. Uh, and while I had, I think, some unconscious reasons for why I shot it down, uh, they came to me later after after the game. I, I really didn't just want to get into uh, a debate about it. And nobody was like, oh, you know, trying to argue the point or something. They were just like, all right, no worries. Um but we did talk a little bit about the animal friendship spell and Adam was kind of mulling whether or not to memorize it and stuff. Um, but after thinking about it for a while, I really kind of shot it down for a couple of reasons. The first being that to me, it's opening up Pandora's box a little bit. So if I had allowed him to say, Oh, I've got a, uh, a war dog as my, as a companion that I've cast animal friendship spell on. And, uh, so I start, start the game with this, uh, uh, with this helpful, almost like a, a, a bodyguard or something. Right. And, um, and it can perform trips, tricks and stuff because I've had them for who knows how long and taught them all these things, you know? Um, and I, I specifically chose um, a very robust war dog. So, can I get a bonus on when I roll the hit points for him or something? I mean, it it kind of leads down that road. And I don't know if Adam had an animal in mind that he had kind of picked out or not, or if he was just spitballing or what. And you know, that, that's fine. It, it's a legitimate question to ask as a as a character as a player running a druid character. But what I, what I wonder is, okay, if I allow that, then if, if there's, say, a magic user or an elf in the party that has a spell charm person, could they then ask, well, hey, can I have a, a, a retainer, a bodyguard, whatever, that I've charmed, and they're my, my servant or, or bodyguard or something? And I've, particu- I've specifically chosen some dupe with a really low intelligence, so they only get a saving throw like once a month or whatever it is. Uh, so would you allow that then, if you allowed the animal friendship spell? Um, I don't know. I think the I think starting characters should be bound by their starting money and stuff. Um, could a fighter say, hey, in my past I, uh, I uh, bushwhacked some knight and got their suit of plate mail. <laughs> it just, when you start uh, going down this road, it's a little bit of a, a slippery slope kind of argument. And again, I'm not saying that it was done out of, with like malicious intent or some kind of underhanded means, but it, but it opens up this question about whether or not you start allowing these things or if you, um, if you kind of hold people to what, they have the means to ha- to possess in the game through their starting money and whether or not you 
allow them to have these things that should may, would maybe be better done at the game table because there are things like saving throws allowed and stuff too. So, I mean, do you have to, would you have to role play this situation uh, as kind of a flashback scene? Like, all right, you're in the, in the woods looking for a wolf or something and you've laid out a haunch of meat and one comes creeping in. All right, let's roll to see if it made it save. And if it doesn't make it save, will it attack you? Let's roll a reaction roll. And the same thing, if you've targeted some dupe as your potential bodyguard, what if he makes his saving throw? So what it boils down to to me is if it's interesting, let's do it in the game because it will be more interesting for everyone at the table. Not that you can't make it interesting as part of like a character backstory or something, but it's a lot more interesting to everyone at the table if you do it in-game. Um, so I don't want to lose those opportunities, and I also don't want to um, handcuff someone. So what if what if Adam had chosen a, a war dog as his companion, and later on they run across some creature he'd rather have as an animal friendship, uh, animal companion. And now he doesn't have that opportunity. Um, I, I don't know. This is all just speculative and stuff, but bottom line is I just think that it's best for starting characters to start within the bounds of the game and not start looking for ways via the spells they've had access to, to try and game it somehow and give themselves a, a little bit of an advantage from a starting position. The same thing is true with something like a find familiar spell in AD&D. You know, you could have a, uh, a starting magic user with a find familiar spell, but it required, I believe, like 100 gold pieces of material components. Maybe it was even more. Uh, it might be a lot more than that. I can't remember. Um, so I would never allow like a a starting magic user to start out with that because it's more interesting that they have to go out and get the components to cast the spell and then cast it in game and find out what they get um otherwise you're basically giving them like a a really big (laughs) what would be a monetary advantage or something that yeah i've already done all that and and cast the spell and i have my weasel familiar or whatever um i don't know but in a in old AD&D, I believe a starting magic user's money was two die four times ten, so the most they could have would be like 80 gold pieces or something. So, I don't know, what do you what do you all think about this? Have you ever had these kind of questions posed to you as a, as a DM, and, and what did you do, or how would you have handled it? Would you have said, yeah, sure, Adam, what do you got in mind? Let's, uh, Let's figure out what kind of animal companion you have. And would you have rolled it randomly? Or would you have just allowed him to choose whatever companion he had maybe thought about having? Um, Yeah, I'm just kind of interested to see what everyone else's thoughts on this are. So if you have any feedback on, on this topic, drop me a line with the Anchor app or send me a MP3 file via Discord or to my email at bigbalboni at gmail.com or use like the Anchor web browser to send me a message or I don't know how else, send me a, a letter. I'd love to get a letter. 
but I don't really want to give up my <laughs> my home address to to everyone listening to this. So there's a few other things I should wrap up. I've had a, a few messages languishing for a while. One of them languishing for a good long while. I completely, uh, speaking of MP3 files, I completely spaced that I had one that I believe I got around the turn of the year. Um, so I apologize for that. That's the one drawback to having all these different sources for messages now is it's a lot easier to to forget about one or to misplace one or something. But let's uh, um, try and address these now. Take it away, mystery caller. Hey Rob, this is James Knight calling from London in the UK. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, I was just calling in to say Happy New Year, first of all. And also to say that uh, I'm very sorry to hear about your canine companions passing. That really sucks. Uh, we don't actually have dogs because my wife is super allergic, but we did have dogs on my mom's side of the family. So I know how much uh, those good boys and good girls can mean. So I'm really sorry about that. Uh, and also calling to say thanks for all of last year's podcasts. Uh, it was great, especially during the uh, the OSR October phase. I feel like you were a real driving force behind that. Uh, those episodes were great. Um, but the main reason I was calling was to say I'm really looking forward to your uh, OSC advanced uh, deep dive. I've been playing in an OSC game now since, gosh, since the beginning of last summer, so over half a year now. Um, and I've been playing as a druid, so I have been using one of those uh, advanced classes. And when I came in, most of the rest of the party was already fifth level. So to begin with, I was having to kind of you know hide <laughs> pretty much. Um, but because we were playing a lot of more kind of fifth, sixth level kind of adventures, a lot of the treasure was pretty large. So I leveled pretty quick. And I just hit seventh level, so now I've got access to kind of the full uh, gamut of spells. And Druid was not a class that I ever played back in the day. So it's been really interesting uh, beginning to familiarize myself with the full range of spells. So I'll definitely be looking forward to your take on the Druid class and Druid spells in particular. Anyway, that's all for now. Take care, Rob. All the best. Hey, James, thanks for the call, and uh, thanks for being a long-time listener and a first-time caller. I hope I hear more from you in the future. And thanks also for the condolences. I appreciate it. Uh, Herman was actually a fem- feline friend rather than a canine friend, but he ac- acted a lot like a dog. <laughs> and I still I miss him terribly. I, I think about him all the time. Um, I have dreams about him. I still think about Bill all the time and have dreams about him. And in some of my dreams are together. It's it's weird how your subconscious mind works. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the dealy, right? Um, we're probably going to get another cat, maybe a dog. Uh, after our May vacation, we're not going to adopt any uh, new companions until. After that, Lily definitely misses Herman. Uh, she's 
I think she's finally kind of getting used to being by herself, but uh, you can tell she's still kind of uh, lonely at times. So we heap attention on her all the time. Um, yeah, the... Um, uh, the OSE advanced thing is going on. I'll, I'll still, um, in the next episode or two, I don't know how it will work out, but I'll take a look at the, the next volume, the OSE advanced spells, the Druid and Illusionist spells. Um, it's cool that you've had this long-running campaign you've gone on, and that's been my experience too. If you, uh, if you have a low-level character and you get in with a slightly higher-level uh, party, like a, you know, starting over with a, a character because one died or something, you tend to level up quickly if you survive. That's the trick, is surviving. Um, but yeah, that's cool that you did. And yeah, now being 7th level, wow. Um, you'll have to, after I talk about the druid spells, it would be interesting for you to call back and kind of compare notes, like having actually been playing the, the druid and using these spells and stuff. Um, what your thoughts are on it and stuff. I do think it's really cool to play a different class than what maybe you have in the past, just to kind of get out of uh, the same old patterns and stuff. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to introduce some of these advanced uh, fantasy options into the BX game, because I think people were starting to get a little bit... Um, you know, looking for other options and stuff, even though uh, Adam's the only one that chose. I knew Adam would because I think he was the person that was getting most tired of uh, just having a limited limited options. Um, so, yeah, he chose that Druid and a Half Orc. But, uh, yeah, it's um, good to hear from you. Uh, thanks for, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for the call. And, uh Moving on now to a couple of regular callers. We got Jason in the coming up to the plate and Daniel taking a few warm-up swings in the on deck circle. So take it away, guys. It's about time you showed up. Hey Rob, Jason here. Just listened to your deep dive four. Great job. Um Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The you know, once you add in the things, the other rules in there, like the firing of melee and the poison and you know, some of these other things, you do kind of get a little bit of that feel. You're bringing in a few of the rules from AD&D. Um, I don't know if they're all the rules I would have selected to try to port over, but it's interesting. You, you, you know, talk about poison. In our Friday night AD&D game, my first level dwarf got attacked by an assassin, and I don't know, the DM didn't um, talk about the how he did it. I know he, you know, we, we were part... Paul, we were listening to him roll and he was doing it, but he didn't explain his process. I'll have to ask him. So I don't know if I was hit on the assassination table or just the assassin came up. And, but anyway, an assassin hit my dwarf with a poisoned weapon. And I don't, like I said, I don't know if he did the, I'm assuming he didn't do the assassination table. I'm assuming he just did the, you know, backstab with, po with the poison weapon. But I took a bunch of damage, not enough to kill me, but enough to knock me down to, I, I think I was at negative four or five. And, because I was a dwarf, luckily I saved versus poison, so the poison didn't kill me. And the cleric was right there, and the cleric was able to to stabilize me, and then with you know cure light wounds, um, save me. So, but of course now I'm laid up for weeks. Uh, 
in the game, right? Be- because I was taken down below zero, so I was in a coma for one to s- for six turns, and then um, you-, you know now I'm so weak I have to be bed rest I think for at least a week something like that. But so yeah, but there there are some neat rules in there. Um, but all in all, it- it's definitely interesting. And one thing I'll give OSC is the way he does write the book and all that. If you just want something easy to pick up and use, OSC definitely has that. I love the older TSR stuff, and I love AD&D, but AD&D is not the easiest thing to page through, quickly find a rule, and quickly parse it, because you have to work your way through the high guy Gaxian. And, and like, missile fire into melee, right, is a great example of that, because he's talking about, you know, how, you know, so small creatures count as a half, and large creatures count as two. But, but, the, but when you look at that paragraph, it's a dense paragraph, where you look at the way OSC parses it, it's, it's definitely easier to parse. So I'll give it that. Anyhow, great job on the series. Can't wait for the next segment of it. Keep up the great work, and I'll talk to you soon. I would definitely agree with you that OSE is laid out and uh, presented in a format that's easier to use at the table and easier to find answers to questions and uh, and just, yeah, easier to implement in general. And I think it leans far more into the rulings over rules kind of thing. And the, the example you cite about shooting into melee is a really good example of that. Yeah, Lily, it's a really good example. Um, where <laughs> where Gygax, I think, tries to be rather prescriptive a lot of times in, in AD&D and spell it out. This is how you do it. Um, it's uh, not that it's, it's not like OSE doesn't do that, but there's, there's more... There's more gaps to fill in, I think. I think AD&D tried to cover a lot of the possible situations, try to come up with a rule for a lot of the the things that players at the time had been sending in questions to TSR asking, how would you do this? Or, or letters to uh, Dragon Magazine or whatever. How would you do this, Gary? How would you do this? Um, and the... DMG, I think in a lot of ways was kind of a well, AD and D in general was kind of a response to that. This is this is how it's done. Boom, boom, boom. My stamp of approval. But yeah. Anyway, thanks for the calls, Jason, and I will get back to the advanced fantasy OSE deep dive here shortly. Hey Rob, Daniel from Made It's Keep calling in about episode well, deep dive four. I, uh, it's funny. I was thinking the same thing. And then you, that you just said, which is that if you are going to use proficiencies, I'd much rather make it a bonus that certain classes have like fighters with weapons there. They have that proficiency in and not a penalty because I just think that especially, you know, something like a magic user or something, right. Trying to fight, of course they probably shouldn't be, or even a thief, right. If he's got decently high decks, but then they find themselves in a melee, you know, they might even have a, a negative on their strength, right? So they're they're like missing left and right if they're trying to use a weapon they're not proficient, proficient in. So yeah, I would probably do that. I guess that's more or less how they do it in 5e, right? The proficiency is, a, is always a bonus, not a penalty. That being said, I think that uh, I just like the idea of people can just use weapons or not. <laughs> I just think it's so much easier and that's just the way that I like to roll. But uh, it, it, like, like you, if I was going to use it, I would make it a, a bonus, not a penalty. There he is. My younger brother, my younger, smarter brother from another mother, Daniel from Bandit's Keep. Thanks for the call. As usual, <laughs> we're kind of on the same wavelength there. And yeah, that, that's how 5e handles it, uh, giving bonuses for proficiencies and stuff. And 
uh, you know, that works. That's cool. And the main reason I do it is ex- exactly what I said before is it's hard enough to hit in D and D, any kind of D and D. Um, but especially old school D and D it's hard enough to hit, um, without giving penalties. And I think in AD and D, if, if my mushy melon is remembering correctly, I think you even had to choose, uh, a weapon proficiency if it had both a melee and a throne component. So if you, um, you know, had, you couldn't just list hand axe, you'd have to have hand axe, melee, hand axe, throne, and that would be two separate weapon proficiency slots. Uh, I might be wrong there, but that's what I'm remembering. That, like, as a, especially the, mag, the, the poor <laughs> magic user had one weapon proficiency, and I think most people chose dagger, but, you know, if you did do that, okay, well, you choose dagger, and now the one thing you could maybe do to help the party is fling a dagger every once in a while if you're not proficient. Minus five on that to hit roll, so good luck hitting anything. And uh, and if you chose dart, so you could um, fling darts into uh, and help out uh, at a distance and stuff so you you wouldn't get toasted on one hit uh, when you're in melee. Well, if someone did break through and you had to defend yourself with the staff or the dagger, minus five, so you might as well just take that dagger and run it across your throat. <laughs> so... Oh man, but yeah, I'm. I've gotten to the point too where I much prefer just the simple thing of your class determines what weapons you can use, and that's exactly the weapons you can use. And if if you did employ weapon proficiencies from OSE, I'd just say those are the weapons that you've that you've trained with, um, uh, and and. F- with more of a focus, so you're plus one with these weapons. Because, uh, yeah, Lord knows there's enough empty exchanges in, in D&D play. All right, so that's uh, that's it for the episode. Um, one thing I have kind of that's puzzled me is the listening patterns to the OSC Advanced Fantasy Deep Dive. They were really good for the first two episodes, and then it kind of cratered for the third episode and then the fourth episode spiked up again. So I'm, I, I posted this on the audio dungeon discord, you know, like just, well, what the heck is going on here? And some people replied back and gave some possible scenarios that very might, might well be the case, you know, but I, I wonder too, if it's in the distribution, like maybe anchor didn't drop that OSC Advanced Fantasy to some of the podcast platforms or something. So I'm wondering if if you do listen to something, I um, the only thing I have access to or that I have set up on my phone is, is uh, the Apple podcast player, iTunes or whatever the hell it is. So I can see there that it's available on, on Apple, but I haven't looked at other Pocket Cast and Spotify, and presumably it's on Spotify with Anchor, right? Anyway, I'm I'm curious if you do have, you know, if you listen on something other than that, and you're looking and like, oh yeah, um, I don't see the OSC Advanced Fantasy Deep Dive number three. Let me know because that's that would uh, that would um, put my brain to rest 
because yeah, I it <laughs> these are the the types of things that kind of keep me puzzling and pondering. Like, well, what the hell? Why did it drop by like thirty percent for the listens in an otherwise uh, pretty successful series, listening wise? I don't know, but I'll can the balloon juice now, and we'll move on to the Easter egg. This is a recording from the creator of Planet Eris, Jim Johnson's band, the Chaos War Band. Uh, it's from a, a really a demo tape that's well, it's more than twenty years old now. So. Uh, Forgive the sound recording because this is a 20, 20 plus year old cassette. Uh, and playing on an old cassette deck that I'm picking up using the record feature on my phone. So it's not going to be very good sound quality. But it's still going to be fun to listen to because it's Jim and, and it's... Uh, with Planet Eris and stuff, you know, so a little bit of a tie-in, and uh, I'll maybe play some of the other uh, songs from Chaos Warband here and there when I do something Planet Eris related, but uh, without further ado, Jim is the guitar player here, and uh, Take It Away, Guy on vocals, Keegan was the bass player, and I believe it's one of the many Steves I used to know on drums, and Jim Johnson on the axe chaos war band shadow rising
Take some life.